Revelation chapter number 14, would you stand with me as we read our text? We'll actually be reading our text twice. Uh, we'll read all of the passage, and then um, as we go through the sermon here today, and we'll just take it a couple verses at a time, we'll be reading our text once again. So I trust that uh, this passage of Scripture will be more familiar to you after we get done here this morning than it was previously. Revelation 14, beginning in verse number 14. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle, and reap, for the time is come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. For some of you younger people here today, a sickle is a bladed instrument. Back before tractors and so forth, they would harvest fields with this implement that you would hang on to this wooden handle and it had, well, you've seen the Grim Reaper. He's carrying a sickle. So if you're not familiar with the term, uh, that's what a sickle is. All right, as we continue reading here in verse number 16, it says, and he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, which had power over fire, and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. The angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. The winepress was trodden without the city and blood came out of the winepress even unto the horse bridles by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. I want to speak this morning on the subject of God's harvest time. Let's pray and ask that God would bless this time together. Father, uh, thank you for the Word of God. Uh, We say that very habitually, but it's certainly worth saying. Thank you for giving us a Bible that we know is true. Lord, you've revealed to us what we need to know, not only about Jesus Christ and the hope that we have in Him, but Lord, you have revealed to us what's going to happen here on planet Earth. I believe in the near future. Your Word certainly appears to make that clear. And God, we don't know all of these things, but we know that you do. And we're asking you now to speak to our hearts here today. Help us as we try to communicate this message. Help us to do it clearly, concisely. We pray, Father, that the Spirit of God would be present to give us ears to hear and a heart to understand. And we pray, Father, that you would uh, you would work in our hearts as a result of what we've heard here today. We ask all these blessings now in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. God's harvest time. Harvest time is usually a time of joy and blessing. This is not that time. Not to say that this will not be a blessing. It certainly will be a blessing to God, and it'll be a blessing to the righteous, but not so much for everyone else. Notice in verse number 14, the first three words, John says, and I looked, and I looked. You know, there are many things that we need to know that we don't want to know. 
Fortunately, John is looking when the children of Israel were bitten by fiery serpents. And if you recall, they were told those that were bitten as Moses fashioned that brazen serpent, put it on a pole and held it up. The word that he gave, that God gave was, whosoever looketh upon it shall live. We sing a hymn in our hymnal, look and live, uh, my brother live. And so certainly uh, the children of Israel knew what it meant to look. Hebrews speaks of looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We see here in what we just read in our text that God gives us warning signs He also gives us deliverance, but it is only for those who want it. But you must want it. You must want. You've got to, you know, so many people today, they don't want to look and see these truths. Modern preachers today, they won't preach it because people don't want to hear it. Now, I don't like preaching these things. I would much rather preach things that are uplifting. But wouldn't you agree that if God says we need to know these things, then he knows better than us. And like I already said, this is not necessarily a harvest of blessing, but yet, if you're on God's side, and you're righteous, wouldn't you agree when the wicked get what they deserve, there's kind of a sense of justice in that? You know, the Bible says when the wicked perish, there is shouting. Can you imagine if someone had offended you? Let's say somebody had abused your children and the judge sentenced them. I guarantee you, in righteousness, you're going to be rejoicing that that perpetrator got what they had coming. You know, man is having his day and man has had his day for nearly 6,000 years now. But I got news for you. God's getting ready to have his day And it's a harvest time, but it is a harvest time of God's wrath. As we continue here in our text, the first point that I want to draw out is the separation of God's harvest. There's going to be a separation. Notice here in our text, verse number 14, And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time is come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. John here writes of this event. He saw it. He's looking at it. But He, in his introductory remarks to the book of Revelation, he mentions it in Revelation 1, verse number 7. And he says it like this, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. They also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen, so be it. We think about those who pierced him. You know, the people that are alive when Jesus comes back are not going to be the people that drove the nails or the sword in Jesus' side at the crucifixion. There's an important truth there. The Bible says in the gospel message, 1 Corinthians 15, that Christ died for our sins. 
You know, it's a sobering truth, folks. You know who nailed Jesus Christ to the cross of Calvary? I did. You did. Well, I'm a pretty good person. Yeah, well, you nailed the Son of God to the cross. You know, I've never hurt anybody before. Yeah, well, you crucified Jesus. He had to die because of your sin. He didn't die for his own sin. They didn't murder him or martyr him. He could have called legions of angels to rescue him. He laid down his life willingly because somebody had to. This Christmas season, the birth of Jesus Christ, he came to this earth for one purpose, and that was to die. He, he was born to die because you and I need a Savior. Now, this one here sitting on the cloud, notice that our text says that he is like unto the Son of Man. Why did John say that he was like unto the Son of Man with a capital S? Because, I'll tell you why, because he was the Son of Man. That's an important truth here. When Jesus appeared here on this cloud, he's like unto the Son of Man, but he's not necessarily appearing in the same form that he's going to appear in Revelation 19. We'll get there here in a few minutes. The one sitting on the cloud is none other than Jesus Christ. Revelation 10, verse number 1 says, And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with the cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head, and his face was as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. This is a description of Jesus Christ. But notice it says he was another angel. This is none other than the angel of the Lord. When you see that term, angel of the Lord, it means one or one of two different things. Very frequently, an angel of the Lord is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. You read about the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, often it's referring to Jesus Christ. Even in the New Testament, the angel of the Lord, in context, this is clearly, Revelation 10 is speaking of Jesus Christ. Why the term angel then? Well, let me just throw this in. We've studied this before. Most people don't aware, in fact, the majority of Christians, of theologians, of preachers, I hate to say it, they get the meaning of angel wrong. You go to almost, you go to 95% of every commentary and they'll tell you that the meaning of angel is messenger. That is not true. The meaning of angel is appearance. Remember they said of Peter when they thought he was dead and he showed up, they said, oh, it's not It's not him, it's his angel. They thought it was, they were seeing a ghost. It's his appearance. And so the word angel, clearly, you study that out from Scripture, and it's talking about appearance, not a messenger. Now, an an angelic being is very frequently a messenger, but that doesn't mean that the word means messenger. The angel of the Lord, it's an appearance of none other than Jesus Christ. The second meaning of the angel of the Lord is an angel, a spiritual being that happens to be the Lord's because there were angels that they divided into two different sides. The devil has angels. And so some of those angelic beings fell 
and followed Lucifer, while others stayed loyal to God, and that makes them the angel or angels, plural, of the Lord. So how do you know if it's talking about one of them or if it's talking about Jesus Christ? Well, the context always will bear witness. Now, it's important to note that what we're reading here in Revelation 14 is two separate harvests. This is the first one we find here in uh, uh, the text that we just read, verse 14 through verse number 16. The first one is a reaping of the earth. Look at it in verse number 16, last part of the verse. It says, and the earth was reaped. There's another harvest that is described starting in verse number 17. And it has to do with a harvest of clusters of the vine of the earth. One is of the earth, the other is the vine of the earth. And if you read this carefully, I believe that you'll see what I'm saying is accurate. There are two different harvests going on here in Revelation chapter number 14. Let's look now at this appearance of Christ as it accompanied this harvest of the earth. The first thing I want to say is that this harvest that we just read about is not the second advent because we have Jesus Christ here sitting on a cloud. The second advent is Jesus coming back on a white horse. And so it's not talking about the same thing. Jesus spoke of this event in Matthew chapter number 13. If you would hold your place and turn to Matthew 13 with me. And I think you'll discover that if you'll rightly divide the word of truth, you'll recognize that everything you read in the Gospels, even though it's in the New Testament, everything you read is not speaking about us or to us. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's not for us. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Listen, we can profit in our understanding from everything we read in the Bible. But that doesn't mean that everything we read in the Bible is written to us. You know, I could go back to the very beginning of the Bible. And God said to Adam, he said, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil which is in the midst of the garden thou mayest not eat thereof, for in the day thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Now, that is written for me. I certainly can learn some things from that, but that is not written to me because I'm not in the garden. I don't live in that time. That's something, that is a time period, a geographical location, and an entire system of theology that has passed on. And, uh, you know, we're several dispensations later where God's program has changed. God hasn't changed. But let's face it, God's program on earth changes from time to time. In the Gospels, Jesus sent out his disciples two by two, and they preached the gospel. But like we saw last week, they weren't preaching the gospel that you and I received. They were preaching the gospel of the kingdom. We're not necessarily looking for... I mean, I'm looking for a kingdom to come... But that is not my salvation or your salvation. We are part of the church that is both Jew and Gentile. But there's a time coming 
where the tribulation is going to come and things are going to go back to the program that Jesus was preaching and that the disciples were preaching there in the Gospels. Jesus spoke of this uh, in a parable in Matthew chapter number 13. Look at verse number 24 with me. He said, "...and another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way." A tare is a weed. It's not something that you can make bread out of, but if you look at it at a distance, it looks the same. As you look at Christianity today, or I like to refer to it as churchianity, there are a lot of church-going people that are not Christians. They're not born again. They're not saved. You look at many People who attend church or say they believe in God, say they believe in Jesus Christ, and they may look like a Christian at a distance, but when you get close in their life, you see, wait a minute, there's some inconsistencies here. Jesus said that it's going to be that way. He says in verse 26, but when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the household came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servants said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and in the time of harvest... I will say to the reapers, gather ye together first the tares, bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. This parable, they could relate to this. This was part of their everyday life, farming and the harvest of wheat. They understood what Jesus was saying. They knew and they recognized, wait a minute, Lord, there's going to be tares and wheat all growing together. Shouldn't we go out there and pull those weeds? And he said, no, that's not your place. That's not your business. You know, there's a lot that we can learn from that, folks. Uh, Beyond any shadow of a doubt, I'm convinced that the church, the Christian church today, is full of people that have never been born again. But you know what? God didn't appoint me or you as his weed inspector. We're not his fruit inspectors. You shall know them by their fruit. I'm not going to stick my head in the sand and pretend that I'm not seeing what I'm seeing and observing what I'm observing. You look at people, you get close enough to their life, and you go, you know what? According to what they're saying and how they're living and what they say they believe and all that, I I don't know. They claim to be Christian. They say they think they're on their way to heaven, but I'm not so sure about that. Jesus said, ye shall know them by their fruit. Notice that these who thought it was their place, they recognized, hey, there's some tares out here, Lord. They saw it. But the problem is, is they thought that it was their job to do something about it. You know, as a preacher, not my job to say whether you're saved or lost. I'm certain, beyond any shadow of a doubt, that even in this auditorium, I'm preaching to both saved and lost. Many of you that are lost, you're sitting here and you maybe you don't know that you're lost. Some of you do, or at least you suspect, 
God's bothered you, it's bothered your conscience, and down deep in your heart of hearts and in your soul, you know that your testimony of Christianity is flimsy at best. You know you need to get the real thing, but you hide behind what you've already said. People think that you're saved and you don't want to look bad. Wouldn't you agree that the the most foolish thing that a person can do is wind up in a devil's hell just because they were afraid of looking bad in the eyes of people? You know, you you and I, we're not going to give an account to one another. We're going to stand before God Almighty. And what he thinks and what he does is the only thing that's going to matter. And so Jesus makes it clear. He said, I'm going to send the harvesters... They're going to bundle up. They're going to separate the tares from the wheat. God knows how to separate that. The wheat he's going to take into his barn. They're going to go into his kingdom, but the tares are going to be burned. Uh, Look at verse number 36. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, the good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of the world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels. They shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father who hath ears to hear. Let him hear. As I said, this is not on the surface a blessing, but to the righteous for God's people and for God, this is a time when they're going to shine forth. Keep in mind, these wheat have been growing right alongside with the tares for their entire life. And uh, listen, there's going to be a separation. I don't know about you. I want to go to God's barn. I am not. wouldn't be interested in being lumped in with those tares. Notice here in verse 36 once again. Oh, excuse me, I've got ahead of myself here. Go to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. Both of these texts have a verse 36, and I just got the two mixed up. All right, Matthew chapter 24, and uh, look at verse 36. But of that day and hour knoweth no man... No, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. You know, our text in Revelation is kind of interesting. You've got Jesus coming back, sitting on a cloud. He's got this sickle, and he's getting ready to reap the earth. And another angel tells him to thrust in his sickle. Uh, There's some commentators take issue and say, well, that couldn't have been Jesus Christ because Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. He doesn't take orders from any man or from any angel. Well, yes and no. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. 
But even in God's providence and sovereign wisdom, the Son of Man does not know the hour. Only God the Father knows the hour. And when that time comes, God the Father is going to tell that angel to tell the Son of Man that it's time to thrust in that sickle. Verse number uh, 37 here says, But uh, as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the flood and knew not until the flood came, watch this, and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. All right, so an interesting thing that most people aren't aware of is that the ones that are taken in this harvest are the ones that are going to be judged. Now, here in the church age, there's going to be a rapture a catching away according to 1 Thessalonians. And once again, just like so many people confuse the different Gospels that are in the New Testament, you have the Gospel of the Kingdom, you have the Gospel of the Grace of God, you have the Everlasting Gospel, we saw that, saw that last week. You, you also have more than one rapture. We saw last week that the 144,000 Jews in the tribulation period are going to be raptured up into heaven. And so a lot of times we assume that just because somebody's being taken, with us being taken is a good thing. I don't want to be left behind. For us, being left behind means we're going into the tribulation period. But at the end of the tribulation period, when this harvest takes place, the ones that are left behind are the ones that are going into that thousand-year kingdom. That's a good thing. You want, if you're still alive when this takes place, you want to be the one that's left behind. You want to be the wheat and not the tear that's gathered in order to be burned. Just like in the days of Noah, it was everyone else that was taken away in order to be judged. Noah and his family were the ones that were left behind. So this is not the rapture of the church. Now, when I was a teenager in the 70s, we sang a song. Some of you maybe remember it. Uh, I wish we'd all been ready. And I'm not going to sing the whole song. My wife will shoot me. How many of you remember that song? And uh, yeah, everybody back then in the 70s thought that was about the rapture. But folks, it's not. It's talking about this harvest at the what Jesus refers to as the end of the world, certainly the end of this world as we know it. And um, just because they sang about it as the rapture doesn't mean that they weren't wrong. Now that brings us to this second harvest in our text, and that is number two, the winepress of God's harvest. Go back with me to Revelation 14. And let's read uh, the rest, the second part of this harvest, beginning in verse number 17. 
So we have the Son of Man. He's already come down uh, sitting on this cloud. He's thrust in his sickle. The earth has been reaped. Verse 17, and another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, which had power over fire, and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, thrust in thy sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, and for her grapes are fully ripe. The angel thrust in his sickle unto the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city and blood came out of the winepress even unto the horse bridles by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. This is a separate but certainly connected event. It's a very different harvest. We don't have wheat being gathered here, but rather we have grapes being gathered to be crushed. And this one, I can say, this one is the second advent of Jesus Christ. How do I know that? Well, I have some cross-references in the Bible that bear witness to that. Isaiah chapter 63 and verse number 1 says, Who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Bozrah? This that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength, I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel, and thy garments like him that treadeth in the winefat? I have trodden the winepress alone, and of the people there was none with me. For I will tread them in mine anger, and trample them in my fury." Their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I will stain all my raiment. For the day of vengeance is in mine heart, and the year of my redeemed is come. Uh, Take a look at Revelation chapter number 19 with me. Revelation chapter number 19. This is probably my favorite, one of my favorite passages in the Word of God. Verse 11, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. Watch this, he was clothed with a vesture, dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Hey, is there any question as to who we're talking about here? The beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is Jesus Christ. And verse 14, the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is the winepress of God, the winepress in which God is getting his vengeance on this entire world that has rejected him. And certainly at this place here, uh, that brings me to number three, and I want to talk about the location of God's winepress. In verse 20 of our text, it says, And the winepress was trodden without the city. Now, as I think about this picture, I cannot fathom that much blood going up 
to the horse's bridles. And I, I know riding horse, the bridles sometimes will, this isn't necessarily going up to where a horse's head is, the bridle sometimes will hang down. And, 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 you know, some probably hang down lower than others. But I guarantee you, bridles are not going to go down toward the ground because the horse would end up stepping on the bridle. Just, that's never going to happen. So rest assured, whether we're talking about two feet or three feet deep, we're talking about a lot of human blood here. Up to the horse's bridles by a space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. I don't know if this is an entire valley, but certainly there is a portion of all of this area where the blood is literally running that thick. That's how many armies of this world that they come and they encompass Jerusalem. This takes place outside the city of Jerusalem. We can understand by compiling various scriptures that the armies of the earth are all gathered together against Jerusalem. When I say all, it doesn't necessarily, I'm not saying that that's conclusive. There no doubt will be nations that will not be part of that. But as a general rule, the entire earth is coming against Jerusalem. I guess maybe that doesn't seem quite as unlikely today as it might have seemed 50 years ago. We're seeing a lot of talk, even in America, who has historically stood by Israel, a lot of anti-Semitism, a lot of our leaders, and a lot of our, uh, you take some of the university leaders and, and professors and teachers, and many of them are speaking out in favor of the Palestinians over the nation of Israel. And I'm not trying to be political here, I'm just simply making a point, we can get it that what the prophecies of the book of Revelation is saying is going to happen, we may see it. There's not a whole lot that wouldn't have to happen for, uh, for us to see this. Our previous reference in Isaiah 63 places the location of this judgment in Bozrah. Bozrah was east of Jerusalem. John speaks of the kings of the east being gathered to Armageddon. We also know it as the Valley of Megiddo, which is north of Jerusalem. In fact, hold your place here and look at Revelation 16 real quick with me. Revelation 16 and verse number 12, The sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates. The water thereof was dried up that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. If you're a Bible student, I just want to confess to you, I'm not convinced that this river is being dried up just so that they can cross it. It says that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. Listen, I, I, there's bridges and there's boats. And even nowadays, I mean, you take, the Bible was written with the things that were natural and normal. You talk about horses and different things. The Bible was written for the people of those days. I, I, I don't know that when this happens, I don't know if there's going to be tanks and trucks and ships and I don't know. I've, I've heard preachers say that there's a possibility. I mean, you take it, you, you look at this, 
if we run out of energy, if all the oil reserves are gone, it wouldn't take that long for everything to go back to very primitive warfare, right? If we lose power, you know, we have a great power grid, but, you know, something's got to feed that energy. You take in the tribulation period, I guarantee you, after all you-know-what breaks loose on planet Earth, there's probably going to be a lot of hydroelectric reservoirs that are destroyed. There's probably going to be a lot of oil fields that are decimated. So it's very possible that that's what's going to be happening. I I don't know, but all I know is that we, we continue to read in verse 13 of Revelation 16, he said, And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, for they are the spirits of devils working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. How in the world are you going to get all the nations to go against Israel? Well, people are just going to be listening to the devil. Why do you see that happening in America today? We're scratching our head going, whoa, where's all this anti-Semitism coming from? You mark it down. And the people that are seeing things the way that they're seeing it, they're probably part of some institution that a Bible-believing Christian would say, that's the devil's institute right there. You know, it's easy to do that math if you're really looking for the truth. Verse number 16 says, he gathered them together. Excuse me, verse 15 says, behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. That's Megiddo and it's north of Jerusalem. And then we find in the book of Joel, in Joel 3, verse number 2, it speaks of the valley of Jehoshaphat, likely a reference to the valley of Baraka, which was just south of Jerusalem. Keep in mind, Jerusalem is encompassed by all of these armies. Joel 3, verse number 2, I will also gather all nations and will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat. And will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. Listen, it's without question. The land belongs to Israel. I don't care what Biden or Putin or whoever. Doesn't matter what they think or anybody else thinks. God says that land belongs to Israel. Joel 3 verse 12, let the heathen be wakened and come up out of the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down, for the press is full, the fats overflow. It's an old English word for vat. For their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. This great wine press of the wrath of God. God's harvesting all of the grapes of the earth. All of these armies are coming against Jerusalem. And then Jesus Christ shows up. 
Well, it's a bloody mess, a time of God's vengeance. Now, in conclusion, and this is this is my last thought, and this just amazes me. We just read there in the book of Joel, in Joel chapter 3, verse number 2, this valley of Jehoshaphat. Notice that God's saying, I'll gather all these nations. And he says, they're scattered. They scattered my people. He says, I will plead with them there for my people. Here in this God's harvest, God's getting ready to create blood up to the horse's bridles, but at a last-ditch effort, God is pleading with them, begging them, if if you will. He calls it in chapter uh, 14, he calls it the valley of decision. And he says the Lord is near in this valley of decision. He's pleading with the heathen nations there when his judgment is impending. It's getting ready to happen. And yet still, to the very, very last, God is pleading with them to repent. What a great God. What a merciful God. God doesn't take any pleasure in the death of the wicked. God's judgment is coming. And yet in Isaiah, three separate times we see this phrase. Isaiah 10 verse 4. For all this, his anger is not turned away. But his hand is stretched out still. God's not a pushover. He's our heavenly father, but he ain't your daddy. He's not someone that you're going to manipulate. He's angry. He's angry with the cause. He is angry in his righteousness. Listen, God is going to judge them and he will be good and righteous in the process. I don't care what, listen, I care about what this Joel says, but I don't care about what the Joel in Houston says. This is the real God of the Bible. You can make a new one if you want to, but he doesn't exist. Yeah, he's good. Yeah, he wants what's best for you, but he hates sin. And he's getting sick and tired of the wickedness that he sees on planet earth. Preacher, I don't like that kind of preaching. Well, I'm sorry. I'm not sorry, but I'm sorry you feel that way. Because it's the truth. What you need to, listen, what you need to hear is a whole lot more helpful than what you want to hear. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Listen to what Hebrews 9 verse 28 says. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin. Unto salvation. Last summer, we went to Ecuador on the mission trip. And this year, my I think I've mentioned this to you before. This was the second year that my wife has been doing um, organic gardening. I mean, we got a compost bin and got to feed that with all of the scraps. And I'll take wood shavings. And sometimes she's... We went on a hike up in the Blowing Rock area, and is a place where they had horses that would ride on the trail, and she's wanting to gather up the road apples. And I'm like, I ain't taking that back, you know, so you got a bag, you just like, put it in your pocket. I mean, she's doing all this studying, it's like, oh, 
horse manure. I need that for my compost bin. And she's into this. She even, she even bought worms. I got worms. She's got worms in our garage. Putting up Christmas lights the other day. And she says, you can't leave the garage door open. My worms will get cold. I know, I know. So we're in the second year. And the first year, I thought, man, this is a real waste of time and energy and money. But boy, last year, the second year, all of this organic, all this stuff, I mean, she'd taken the, the worm castings and she's boiling it with, not boiling it, but putting it in with air bubbles and making this stuff out of it to spray on all the plants and all the ground. And I'm like, this is dumb. But man, it works. It's like, you know, we didn't have as much trouble with weeds this year. The plants just did great. And I mean, her garden was doing great. Best green beans we've ever had. And they came ready to pick while we were gone in Ecuador. <laughs> What's your point, preacher? My point is this, when they're ripe and ready to harvest, they ain't waiting on you. And God's program right here, he's not waiting on you. He's not going to say, you know, I'm just going to hold back my wrath here because, you know, I'm going to, he's, he's got a time. And when it's time, it's happening whether you're in or whether you're out. It's just amazing that in spite of how God is treated, Jonathan Edwards, some 200 years ago, preached a message entitled, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. He literally read that sermon, and thousands of people just fell down weeping as if they were, they said they felt like that they were dangling over the pits of hell. And many of them cried out for salvation. God did a mighty work because this man of God showed them what sinners are going to face in the hands of an angry God. He told them the truth. Today, We have a message that is commonly preached, and it should be entitled, God in the Hands of Angry Sinners. That's the way people see God today. I don't like this about God. I don't, I want a God to be after my image. I want Him to be what I like for Him to be. I want to get my way, and yet this whole time, God's the one that paid the price for your sins. The earth is ripe. God's harvest is ready. The question is, are you? Are you ready for God's harvest? Are you ready for that day of judgment? Is Jesus Christ your Savior? If He's not your Savior, He can be your Savior today. His hand is certainly stretched out still. And he is begging and pleading for you to repent and put your faith and trust 
and his son and what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary.